Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Say what you will about the state of golf right now, but at least there is something to say about golf right now. In the past week, we have essentially seen golf at its very best and golf at its very worst. But at least it's been interesting. At least it's given us something to talk about and watch and react to. So at its worst, it's been a hypocritical belief show. But at its best, it's been borderline miraculous. Borderline erotic. And even even that, that too. Borderline erotic. Borderline erotic. What up, Brett? At its worst, it's been a hypocritical bleep show. At its best, it's been borderline miraculous. And at its very best best, it's been borderline erotic. Borderline erotic. I mean, what I'm saying is, there have been moments where golf has damn near gotten nice with itself. And we got all of that in the last seven days, right? In fact, you could say this was golf's most interesting tigerless week in decades. And yes, the merger announcement was a disaster. I'm not saying it wasn't. And I don't think that anybody will ever take Jay Blood money hands seriously ever again, nor should they. But it was a fascinating week. And it led into a wild, wild weekend in Canada. Because that's totally what everybody expected to happen next, right? The Canadians at the Canadian Open. Saving the day and the vibes by delivering one of the most amazing walk-off scenes that we have ever seen at a PGA Tour event. Any 72-foot putt for Eagle in any context is incredible. But I'm not even sure how to describe the epic level of a 72-foot walk-off eagle putt on the fourth playoff hole to break a 69-year drought for Canadians at the Canadian Open. But somehow, incredibly, that's exactly what Nick Taylor managed to pull off yesterday. Swing of the putter. Comes up with some speed. Now up the rise. For the eagle. For the win. To the cup. Take it. Yes! Canadian Open champion, history, history, two-year exemption, he's an icon now in this country. He's an icon now in this country. He's an icon now in this country. He is, he is, instantly true, and frankly that putt was more than ionic. Ionic. It was basically miraculous. No Canadian had won the Canadian Open since 1954. And then this Canadian drilled the longest putt of his entire career to walk it off on the fourth playoff hole and break the drought. I mean, you could not script that any better. And if you did, nobody would have believed it anyway. That was so awesome. That 72-foot, 6-inch putt was the longest made putt on the final hole of a PGA Tour win in the last 20 years. So, if it seems like insanity... Like, because that never happens, it's because that never happens. Essentially, that never happens. Like, I can't get over it. I can't stop watching it. That was so cool. That was so awesome. I need to hear it once again. This is how it sounded with Jim Nance on CBS. Flag. Good pace. Are you serious? Oh, my goodness! Glorious and free! We're storming the 18th green now. They just tackled Adam Hadwin, by the way, who was trying to approach his friend. Security did, not knowing that's exactly who it was. But Canada has a conquering hero. Glorious and free. Yeah, try telling that to fellow Canadian golfer Adam Hadwin. That dude got absolutely smoked. While trying to celebrate with his buddy. Jim Nance was all over that in real time. Except for the fact that, quote, he was tackled. 
Yeah, I don't think tackled really quite does justice to what happened to that dude. That dude got eviscerated. That dude got obliterated. The security guard basically went Terry Tate office linebacker on this dude. He went Mike Curtis on this dude. Honestly, the most amazing part of that amazing scene is that somehow the 72-foot walk-off eagle putt got completely upstaged. That's what's incredible. Somehow, that incredible, historic, miraculous putt was not even the most viral moment of its own moment. Because way more people are still talking about Hadwin getting laid out than Taylor making this impossible putt from like 72 miles away. My dude got cracked so hard that people on social were legitimately concerned about his well-being. Hell, I was too. But then his wife jumped on Twitter with this. At Jessica Hadwin, quote, Sorry to leave you all hanging. Had to get the toddler ready for bed. I am thrilled to report that. At at Hadwin Golf is still win is still among the land of the living and in true Canadian form. Apologize to the security guard for being tackled. That had to be the most polite, visual, in, vicious encounter ever. The most polite, vicious obliteration ever. I can only imagine it. Security guard lays this guy out, and then they both spend the next five minutes saying, "Oh, oops, excuse my bad, me, my, my bad, my bad, my friend." No, that was my bad, my friend. No, I started it, my friend. No, I deserved it, my friend. My, my bad, bad, my friend. My friend. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Let me buy you a drink, my friend. Not that's not your bad. That's my bad, my friend. How does that even happen? I mean, on the one hand, what kind of a fan rushes the green, invades a golf course with a bottle of champagne? Like, was he going to weaponize that champagne? That was pretty much the first giveaway that that was not just some rando. But I'll give the security guard this much. He was hustling. He was doing his job. And clearly his mindset was smoke fools first, ask questions later. And he did not shy away from the contact. Hadwin's lucky dude didn't rip that bottle out of his hand and smash him in the face with it. Meanwhile, the moment just keeps finding new life on social media because there are only about 100 angles and shots of it. And I'm still talking about that bone-crunching tackle, not the putt, right? There's even close-up slow-mo video of the hit. And at this point, I bet way more people have watched it than the putt itself, and it was one of the most miraculous putts ever. Hadwin himself even posted a still photo from just after impact with Taylor and his caddy celebrating the background and the caption, quote, Adam Hadwin, put it in the Louvre. This guy's incredible. The, the picture is so good. Look at that picture. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, put it in the Louvre. It does not even look real, right? Seriously, though, the entire scene does belong in some kind of museum as an example of the very best that golf has to offer. And that's what golf needed so badly. And leave it to the Canadians to provide it for us. A pretty freaking clutch way to end a week where golf did everything it could to showcase the very worst of itself. The very most hypocrisy. Or how hypocritical it can be. Think about the energy and the vibes from the end of that tournament yesterday. And then contrast that with where we ended last week. As an example, one of the architects of the merger, Jimmy Dunn, making this utterly absurd claim. Listen to what this dude had to say. One of the dudes that brokered the deal. And I am quite certain, and I have had conversations with a lot of very knowledgeable people, that the people I'm dealing with had nothing to do with it. And if someone can find someone that unequivocally was involved with it, I'll kill him myself. We don't have to wait around. Oh, really, Rambo? He's talking about 9-11 again, unfortunately. And not only that, but this guy worked on Wall Street. And apparently, in the aftermath of 9-11, for weeks and weeks and weeks, went to funerals 
because 66 of his people died. And he's saying, hey, show me evidence. Show me evidence that anybody that I'm involved with right now had anything to do with any of that. And if you can show me that evidence, I will kill them myself. I'll kill them myself. Easy, dude. Easy. Easy, Rambo. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what's your beef? Hopefully that is the very last 9-11 mention that we ever hear from anybody involved in the PGA Tour leadership or the last threat of lethal violence we hear from anybody involved in the PGA Tour leadership. OJ promising to find the real killers himself cannot believe that that guy just said, if you can prove to me that anybody I did that deal with had anything to do with 9-11, I will kill them myself. That guy did not just say that. So the leadership is still a total bleep show, and it's still hard to tell what the future holds for the sport, but at least for a weekend, the Canadians came through and reminded us of all we like golf, The reasons we like golf in the first place. Glorious and free. So, no, I did not expect to begin this show and this week with that. He's an icon now. But it was either that or that nonsense involved in the Floyd Mayweather fight and John Gotti the third, which I'll get to. How about that scene? All right, so in addition to that putt. And that security guard blowing up homeboy on the green. I do want to talk about the smack off. So we're coming up on June 30th. And I keep telling you this. And I think a lot of you don't buy it. Yeah, I know, Rome. One call gets us in. However, I can never make that call. How do you know? How do you know until you shoot your shot? It's been done. It's been done multiple times. I'm going to give you examples later on on where and how that's been done. What about the Miami Heat? Oh, and one more thing about Floyd Mayweather and the absurdity of the end of that fight. No more absurd than Conor McGregor knocking out the Heat mascot. And then even when that guy was asleep, arguably, before he hit the floor, Conor pounding him in the face again. I'll give you this, Conor. At least you won. That's your first, only your second win, actually, in six years. No, you can't parlay that into a title shot. No... Dana White's not going to give you a bonus for the knockout of the night. No, that's not great for your brand. But it is a win. At least you knock somebody the hell out. That's coming up later on, too. Mayweather, Connor, the smack off. Poor John Sterling, dude. How about him? How about John, man? There is a tough dude right there. Minding his own business, calling a game. Bam! A foul ball off the grill. Dude, head on a swivel. Or catcher's mask on a face. Something. Football helmet over a head. That video is insane. And then how about game five? Do the Heat have it in them to send that thing back to Miami? Or is Denver just not going to mess around and finish it off right now? And if they do finish it off tonight, does that mean that's one of the greatest postseason runs we've ever seen? Last number I saw was plus nine if you like the Heat. Do you like the Heat enough? Notice Saquon Barkley and the Giants are having a little bit of an issue, right? Contractually. What do you do if you're the Giants? Let me check some reaction before I go to break. WNY Water Cooler is in first. Canadians are allowed to win Canadian trophies? News to us. Regards the Maple Leafs, Canucks, Canadians, Senators, Flames, Oilers, and Jets. Don't do that, dude. It's not smart. It's not clever. It's not original. 
Now, my take, on the other hand, was it was awesome. That was awesome. In a week where golf was anything but awesome, that was awesome. So instead of cracking on the Canadians and coming with some cheap round bacon smack, denim smack, maple syrup smack, man, tip your hat. They provided us with some great content, great entertainment, and we felt good. Ed, Blue20J writes, was that Romo on that Canadian green coming in for the body slam? War NFL action in Canada. Like I said, smoke fools first, ask questions later. They just tackled that. Not bubble suckers first, ask questions later. He's doing his job. He saw what he thought was a rando coming with a bottle who knew what he was going to do with it. He reacted quickly. He laid him out. This guy writes, Nick Taylor's stunning victory just cut like a knife for the rest of the field. Signed Prime Minister Brian Adams. Hey, Hitman. 1998 called. They want their content back. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Ben Golliver joins me. Ben, it's great to have you back. Ben, how are you? I'm doing well, Jim, here in Denver. And it, it kind of feels like it's going to be a coronation tonight. You know, that was just kind of the vibes at practice yesterday. The Nuggets players were dancing real loose, feeling good. Obviously, their coach is saying, hey, don't take anything for granted. we got to come out here like we're down 3-1, not up 3-1. But uh, they've been so good at home the entire playoff run. Jokic has been playing so incredibly in this, uh, this final series. And Miami's been kind of struggling. It all feels like it's coming together here for the Denver Nuggets. You know, I was going to ask you, it's funny to bring that up, Ben, but when you look at it, they've been so good at home, and they've been so good throughout. Like, the Nuggets have won five straight road games down to their last ten. If they do finish off this gentleman's sweep, would you consider this one of the most dominant postseason runs that we've seen? Well, if they go 16-4 and four by winning tonight, that's going to be the best run, the fastest run to a title since the Golden State Warriors the first year they got Kevin Durant, right? So that's pretty good already. It's probably the best in six years. I think the only thing you can look at with the Nuggets, it's not to take anything away from them, but look at the quality of competition, right? I mean, they're going to wind up having played two number eight seeds, a number seven seed with the L.A. Lakers, and then the Phoenix Suns as well, a team that was really trying to get itself together. So they've been very dominant. They've answered every question that we could have possibly had about them. Could Jamal Murray step up? Could Nikola Jokic play defense at a high enough level in the postseason? Were, you know, were there role players who have never won a title before ready to kind of contribute in big moments like an Aaron Gordon did in Game 4? They've answered every single question, but when you're just saying, okay, is it one of the best runs? Is it one of the most dominant runs? I do think you have to take into account the uh, quality of competition. But look, Jim, this is why you get your work done during the regular season. So you can be the one seed, so you can have home court advantage, so you can go 9-1 and one, uh, so far at the mile-high altitude and also 3-1 and one in elimination games. They have just handled their business rock solid all season long. And I think if they get it done tonight, they're going to be very deserving champions. Ben Golver joining us. You know, Ben, I could talk to you about Jokic and Murray, and I probably will anyway. But let me ask you this. I want to ask you about somebody else you just mentioned. How critical has Aaron Gordon been this series for the Nuggets? Well, he, he's been absolutely huge. Look, Miami's defense, they understand. They have to commit extra attention to Jamal Murray because he's been red hot throughout the entire postseason and to Jokic because Miami's so undersized. You just have to throw extra bodies at him and always have, uh, you know, an eye on him no matter what he's doing. And that sets up Denver to need release valves. And what's been so impressive about Aaron Gordon, he's like a, a heat-seeking missile towards the rim. Anytime he gets one of those passes from Murray or Joker, he's not making any mistakes. He's going straight into the paint and straight at the rim. And I think he was known earlier in his career kind of as a slam dunk contest guy. You don't always want that label, Jim, right? Like sometimes, uh, you know, the biggest stars don't always compete. And if you're just a dunk contest guy, some people might think you're a gimmick. 
That's not the case at all with Aaron Gordon. He's a very substantive player, a strong defensive player as well. He's done a nice job against Jimmy Butler, but he's put that leaping ability and those instincts in the air to perfect use in this series. And he's just you know, punishing uh, the smaller Miami defense time and time and again. And, oh, by the way, in game four, he decided to hit some open three-pointers, too, just to make it even more unfair for Miami. I, I absolutely love the guy. The trade to hit, or the trade to Denver has been absolutely it's been great for him. It's been a boon to his career. And I think you're right. He's in the right spot at the right time. Speaking of Jokic, Ben, like, nobody's perfect. But does this guy ever not make the right play? <laughs> He's the most consistent star I've seen during my career. The only person who's right there with him would be LeBron in terms of the last 15 or 20 years in terms of he never has a bad game. Now, game four was one of his worst games of the postseason, I would say, but he still had three blocks and, and three steals. He's disruptive on the defensive end. He's still finding ways to contribute. And all of that, despite an ankle injury and foul trouble, I mean, he's getting some of these bogus foul calls on him that really limited him down the stretch. But the key thing to me with Jokic, and it's the most important dynamic uh, you know, with him and Jamal Murray, no ego. How many times do we see superstar dynamics fall apart in the NBA because of personality conflicts, because somebody wants to be the alpha, because someone wants a, a bigger share of the attention, the national sneaker deals and all that kind of stuff? Murray and Jokic just do not care about that stuff whatsoever, and especially Jokic. I mean, he was even asked after game four, can you reflect on your journey? You're about to potentially win your first title. And he just deadpans. He's like, my journey's not very interesting. And it's like, well, thanks a lot. You're making the, the writer's job harder here, uh, Joker. But I understand where he's coming from. He doesn't want the attention. He doesn't want the validation. He wants it to be all about his teammates, all about the organization, and not so much focused on him. I think that's a crucial winning trait among star players. And it's an increasingly rare commodity. You know, when you have to be a brand, when you have to be on social media, when you have to be a marketer and a pitch man and a podcaster and all those kinds of things, it's much harder for these big-time NBA players to kind of keep the main thing the main thing and just focus on winning basketball and making your teammates better and, uh, you know, give Joker his credit. He's never lost sight of what's most important. No, I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. He He's about the craft. He's about keeping the main thing the main thing. And I would never, ever say anything critical about him. I think he's one. I think he's one of one. I've never seen a guy like him do what he can do. There's just a tiny part of me, Ben, that wishes he was more like his brothers because they're a lot more entertaining. <laughs> He's a much better player, but they're a lot more entertaining, man. I love those guys, too. I wish we got a little more of that. So, Ben, Woj just tweeted that Tyler Hero has been upgraded to questionable and may be able to go tonight. Is that what you're hearing as well? And realistically, if he does go, how effective do you think he can be? Yeah, the Heat made that announcement as well, putting him at questionable, and obviously he's been dealing with that hand injury. He's been at practice trying to shoot around and be around his teammates really throughout this series. I think Miami's idea was erring on the side of caution, especially because he was still feeling some pain. Look, I mean, it's now or never, right? And so I respect the competitiveness from him to want to give it a go. You're going to try to help however you can. But remember, from a conditioning standpoint, just from a flow and a rhythm standpoint, this is a near impossible spot to get thrown into, right? I mean, this is like, you know, desperate times demand uh, desperate measures. And I think we should probably keep our expectations uh, off Tyler Hero as much as possible. But I understand Miami's thinking about why they would even consider this because they have just not been able to get the contributions from their shooters throughout this series, right? Other than game two when they were red hot, they've been missing, you know, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin. A lot of these guys who were stepping up in huge moments earlier in the postseason just haven't really been able to provide the support for Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo in this series and when you're going against a Denver team that can really shoot the ball well at home and you're dealing with their star power as well, you've got to have those uh, you know, contributions coming from unexpected sources. And I think Tyler Hero being dropped into the middle of the finals and you know, finding a way to really be effective, that would be an unexpected source. And, and certainly Miami could use that boost. Ben Galver joining us ahead of Game 5. Ben, let me ask you, Eric Spolstra is being called one of the best ever, down three games to one, and I agree, he's one of the best ever. What about Michael Malone, though? Is he getting the respect that he deserves? And then generally, how is he perceived or how is he seen in coaching circles and the coaching fraternity? Well, look, I mean, he's a second-generation coach. His dad was a long-time coach. I think a lot of people respected the work that he did in, in, with the Sacramento Kings because that was not an easy job. I mean, he was trying to get through to DeMarcus Cousins and, you know, turn around a losing culture in Sacramento. And he had more success than just about anybody until Mike Brown showed up this year. 
Now, I think he's been a little bit under the radar in Denver because the Nuggets, just in general, small market team, are typically under that national radar. But he's been a long-tenured coach. I mean, he's up there with, like, Popovich and, and Eric Spolstra among the guys who have kept their jobs the longest in the NBA, where we see coaches get kind of fired, you know, year after year after year, and, and sometimes they barely last for a season or two. He's built a nice winning program there. Now, he was trying to sell everybody on this idea that, uh, you know, other teams should be following the Denver model by remaining patient and drafting their players and developing their players. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, good luck to all these other teams trying to follow the Denver model. I mean, good luck trying to find Jokic, the next Jokic in the second round. Uh, I'm not sure somebody like that's going to be coming along anytime soon. But he's done a great job of bonding with his players. You know, Jokic actually mentioned this this weekend about how Michael Malone flew over to Serbia multiple times to meet with him at various points of his career to show that he really cared and, and that there was a personal touch there. And uh, what he's been so great at during this playoffs, I think, is uh, not letting up, not allowing his team to get complacent in key moments. You'll remember after game two, he just ripped his team to shreds. You know, you rarely hear that from a coach during the finals, but he said, look, our effort wasn't good enough. This isn't the preseason. This is the NBA finals. And you look at how they responded, especially defensively in games three and four, the Nuggets brought. And so clearly, you know, his message is getting through to his players. And I think uh, he's a, a piece that should not be overlooked in all of this. The fact that the ownership group, you know, remained steady with him, didn't try to fire him. There hasn't been a lot of talk about, oh, uh, we need a new voice. None of that stuff has really popped up in Denver. And that continuity and, uh, you know, their consistency from the coaching staff and the star players has driven this success here over the last, uh, you know, five or six years. No doubt. Ben, one last thought. You're talking about preaching patience. You know, while you're covering the finals, I know you've got your ear to the ground on some other things, too. What about the conversation we're hearing about Damian Lillard and whether or not he expects to stay in Portland? Where do you think his head is right now as it relates to playing his entire career there and not abandoning that goal versus the realization that if he wants a ring, he may have to go someplace else to get it? Hey, Jim, I'm seeing a page out of the LeBron James playbook here, aren't you? I mean, he's on Instagram Live drinking wine. He's, he's answering questions about uh, apply pressure to his team's front office to maybe go get him some help so they're not going to be stuck in these trade rumors. I mean, it seems to me like, uh, you know, he's taking a page out of LeBron's playbook and saying, hey, I don't want to just settle here. I want to be on a team that really has a chance to compete for titles. We saw that uh, LeBron do that, especially, uh, you know, in the run-up to the trades that they made at the deadline, the Lakers did. And I think really what Damian Lillard is, is doing here is he wants some help. You know, he's been waiting a while. Uh, the new front office there has been in place for, you know, a little bit more than a year now. Um, they've had a tough, uh, a tough couple of seasons in terms of trying to get back on the winning track. And Damian Lillard's probably the biggest star in the NBA right now who doesn't necessarily have a, a clear-cut star-type sidekick to play with. And, and I think, it, you know, that's why you're seeing all this conversation. Will they trade the number three pick in the draft? Are they going to be able to put together a package to really get some help for him? Because he's at the stage of his career where it's like, you know, lottery seasons don't really do him any good. He's trying to get back to that Western Conference Finals, and he hasn't been there for a few years. So, it's a tricky spot for the Blazers to be in, right? Because if you try to swing a home run deal, you can easily make a big mistake. And I would look back at the Minnesota Timberwolves last summer, right? They were feeling some similar pressure. Let's get over the hump. Let's try to put this team together and get on the winning path. They make that Rudy Gobert trade, and that trade is going to set them back for five or six years. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, just an ill-advised decision. So if you're going to be swinging for the fences, Jim, you better hit the ball. You know, you can't come up empty because – that could put this, uh, this Blazers team and Lillard himself in an even tougher spot if they don't make the right move. It's going to be so interesting to see. He is an NBA national writer for the Washington Post, co-host of the Greatest of All Talk podcast, author of Bubble Ball, great, great book, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. And again, Game 5 is tonight. Ben, really appreciate you. Great job as always, Ben. Have a great night. We'll do it again soon. Sounds great, Jim. Take care, man. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. We're still riding the promo high around here after Alvin dropped his latest epic, fat, fat. brilliant smack-off promo at the end of last week. And 
if we're past the promo, then you know it is crunch time. The big push is on for smack-off season. If you have heard the promo, that should be your signal that your time is running out. If you want to be in the field, you need to get up in here and get into the field. But I want to make an important point today. It's not too late. It's never too late because one call can change everything. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy to call up and rip a golden ticket on your first try. I'm just saying it's not impossible. In fact, it is possible. I'm saying it's been done before. It's been done more than once before. And it will be done again. It is absolutely possible to go from a total random, unknown, anonymous to a jungle commodity in a single phone call. I'm going to prove it to you. I've got four examples of this happening. First off, a quick word on the smack-off predictions. We hit on it earlier, but I feel like this year we're having as much success with it as possible. So I want to say it again. You have spotted the predictions on the CBS Sports Network simulcast. Great news. You can get on TV too. Maybe not as a caller, but you can get on national TV. And who doesn't want that? Shoot a horizontal 20 to 30 second style video. Make it horizontal. Or if you're Tommy, hamburger style. Make a prediction. Send it to smackoffpicks at gmail.com. As long as you do not ruin it for yourself by including graphic nudity or violence or substance abuse, we will get it aired on national TV. Now, here is the crazy truth about the smack-off predictions and the smack-off itself and every single call to the program. Believe it or not, we are rooting for you. We want you to have success. Your success makes the show better. Your success is all of our success. We're not rooting against any of you. I know the clones love to clown any and everyone for any and everything. And I can't control that. I know this. But you need to know this as well. We are here pulling for you. When you call for the first time to shoot your shot, we want to go great. We want you to dominate. We want you to go legend. We want it to go as well for you as it did for, say, the BIC. That's right. Brad in Corona, the six-time champ, the GOAT. He started off as just another first-time caller shooting his shot. We didn't know who he was. And in fact, he didn't even get on the first time. Jay Stu hung up on the dude multiple times before Brad could finally get on the air. Great play, Stu. Don't let the GOAT on. Yeah, I'm going yeah, to need some more from you. That's not good enough. Yeah, that, one, that won't work today. That's not one of our topics. Call your local show. That was one of Stu's favorite lines. Call your local show. Luckily, Brad didn't say, hey, man, screw this. He finally did make it on, even though Stu did his best to block him. He makes it on, and this particular show changed forever with his first time call hey i wanted to hit on the nba finals for a bit i don't want to talk about kobe or kg or pp i only want to talk about the abundance of oil on doc rivers nose and forehead hey doc you're not supposed to sweat more than your players when all you do for 48 minutes is sit on the sidelines yelling out that's a foul Romy, be honest have you ever seen a face that oily before I mean, it's no wonder oil's trading at $133 a barrel. Doc's been hoarding it all on his face for the past two months. George Bush wants to send troops to occupy Doc Rivers' nose. Hey, when this thing's all over, Romy, and the Lakers win the championship in seven, <clears throat> lose tonight by 20, maybe we could get a team of scientists to quarantine Mr. Rivers and determine how I can power my car from what comes off Doc's face every game. War Lakers in seven. War Phil Jackson playing all of the uncircumcised Euros in his lineup at the same time. So, like, I didn't even know who that guy was. And he got run, but became a legend. Parlayed that one phone call, although he got run, into GOAT status. 
So I can't say that I knew right then and there that the goat was born. But I had a feeling that things were never going to be the same around here ever again. And they weren't. They haven't been. That's the potential power of one great phone call. Even if that phone call got run because it was so different. We never heard anything like that. All you have to do is blow in here and get nice. Really nice. It doesn't have to be with some brilliant observation about the human condition or the sporting landscape. It just has to be entertaining. Like, you know, the legend Mike in San Diego. What he pulled off when he dropped this call on us out of absolutely nowhere back in 2010 with his first call. Romy. Mike. The Giants win the pennant. 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 Jimmy, I just want to chime in on the... The Giants winning the pennant. Yeah, they won the pennant, Jimmy. Yeah, they did. I just wanted to chime in on the Let's Get Weird series. You know, this weird this World Series gave new meaning to the phrase Rocktober. I don't know what's cooler, Van Smack. The fact that the Texas Rangers dug up Frank Zappa and made him their pitching coach, or that the Giants put Rick Ocasek at the front end of their starting rotation. And let's not forget that one team had a guy named Elvis, and the other team had the lead singer for the Beach Boys put that final nail in the other team's coffin. And you know what, Jim? They were all outstanding in their field. Hey, Jim, can I have a drug test, please? I think I can do that for you. There it is. Hey, Frisco fan. Pass the Dutchie from the left-hand side. You know, Jim, not only did Juan Uribe and Edgar Renteria provide a lot of leather from the left side, they also provided plenty of free cron for the stoners in the city by the Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative. War Ken Rosenthal and Tim Lincecum joining the Bowtie Revolution, and War Stoner Giant Fan smoking a tasty J-Straw. Without the stems and seeds that you don't need. And until next time, Jim, as my peeps down in TJ say, Buenas noches, ahora mismo. Mike, R.I.P., brah. What a legend. An instant legend. He was a legend before he even got to the end of the phone call. Missed that guy. But again, that was a first-time call. He went instant legend. It's possible. And as outstanding as that call was, generally, most hardcore clones hold two debut calls above all the rest. The first comes from J.D. in Nashville. This was wild. J.D., you're up. Nice to have you. How are you? Shimon, I'm calling you. Pimp in the box. What's up, Jace, too? Yeah. The porn stash rocks. Shamon, come to my room. Up to my dorm. I need eight dudes for watching porn. And the adult alarm ain't nothing when I'm trying to get to you. I know Michael's bed is bumping. Can I bring magic too? Because I'm Chad. I'm Chad. You know it. You know. There's a pervert in the jungle right now. And I tell you once again, it's Chad. I'm mean, we're floored. We were absolutely floored by that phone call. None of us, we couldn't stop laughing. I mean, for days. It's incredible. As you can tell from the calls that I'm playing, there is no recommended format here. There is no formula that you need to follow. Every one of these calls is completely different. The same goes for our next call from Jeff in Southfield. Maybe the best ever first call to the program. Definitely the strangest. Jim, Fonzie is the first clone ever. He was a clone before you were even born. Think about it, clones. The character Fonzie on Happy Days was an adult male, aged somewhere between 30 and 45, not married, no kids, and living in the spare bedroom of a suburban family's home. Now that's a clone if ever there was one, Jim. I wonder if Fonzie's full name was Arthur Caleb Fonzarelli. Jim, while my respect for the Fonzie as a clone has skyrocketed, my respect for the notion of the TV character Fonzie as a ladies' man has plummeted. No wonder he never got a second date with Pinky Tuscadero. Turns out his hopes of scoring with her got Malachi crunched between two realities. He doesn't have one, he doesn't have enough money to take her anywhere better than Arnold's, and two, the bed he wanted to take her to is in the spare bedroom of Mr. and Mrs. Cunningham's house. 
You know, that elbow in the jukebox trick is a lot less cool when the song that drops is Bet Sor Un Perdidor. But that's what you get when you hang with Ralph and Patsy. Bam, 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 bam. Bam, 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 bam. In the time of Happy Days Lunch with the Monkey. Okay, enough of that. Jim, I don't want to blow the best first call in jungle history by going too long. So I'll leave you now with a quote from Keith Richards. After all is said and done, got to move while it's still fun. Better walk before I get run. Bam, 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 bam. Same thing. Absolutely incredible. You know, I miss that guy. I miss that Jeff. I miss when Jeff was around, and I miss Jeff actually being funny when Jeff came around. And I know that Jeff now has a list of grievances. But, dude, I want to remind you and everybody else, it's never personal around here. We're not out to get you. We're not out to stone you. We just want what's best for the show. And what that means is we want all of you to succeed when you call. That goes for everybody. My man, Jeff, one call can put you on the map. You know this. So get back up in here. Get your golden ticket. If you truly believe you're good enough to win the whole thing, then I know you're good enough to get that golden ticket. All right? That one first call did not get you jungle immortality necessarily. I mean, you'll always be known. But it's kind of like your PGA Tour card. You have to re-earn it. You have to get it. So, dude, It does not. That call did not get you a lifetime pass to the smack-off. It's not personal. Dude, I want you in here. Get your golden ticket, get back in the field, and put yourself back in the running. Hopefully he does that. Jalen Smith is my guest, and he joins us via Zoom. Jalen, good to have you back. How are you? Uh, Doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on this morning, Jim. Always good to have you on. Always good to visit. You know, kind of an unusual conversation for you and I to have right now because this time of year, you're usually at OTAs. As a free agent, that's not what's going on. So, Jalen, what's it feel like? Does it feel weird or is it kind of nice and kind of rejuvenating to get that time? You know, being a being a vet, you know, you, you kind of understand what you need to do. Uh, you don't want to peak too soon as far as with your body. Um, but it's always good to be in the locker room, to be around the guys as soon as possible to develop that chemistry and that and that knowledge of the system. Um, for me, I'm just controlling what I can control. Uh, I'm training every morning, um, making sure I'm locked in and ready to go for when that call comes. But um, I'm excited about this upcoming season for sure. I was going to say, let's be very clear about this. You are not retired. You're looking to play, correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I I still got a lot of value to add and give to this game. Um, You know, all I need is one team to to believe in me and to give me the opportunity. But I'm 27 years old. Um, I'm still young. I I can still play this game at a high level uh, and compete to be one of the the, the best linebackers in the league. Um, You know, this this tale of turn is you got to roll with the punches. And and for me, I'm, I'm definitely battle tested, even coming out. Um, you know, no one thought I would ever play the game again. Um, so so with that being said, I'm just locked in, I'm focused, uh, and I'm ready to go. Jalen Smith joining us. You know, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, the fact of the matter is you have been proving doubters wrong since you came back from that serious knee injury that you suffered in the 2016 Fiesta Bowl in your final college game to ultimately become a pro bowler. Does this feel like just another example of that, or is this something different? I think each phase of your career, um, you go through different things, and it's to strengthen you. Um, and for me, I, I've, I've, I have proven success in the league, even last year, uh, coming to New York uh, week four and helping lead that team to a, to a playoff berth and a win, um, something that no one expected. Uh, so for me, it's just about understanding what I can do, understanding the value that I bring to a locker room, um, outside of production, my leadership. And, and and then from there, it's just about being humble and, and being ready. So that's really just my focus right now is controlling what I can control. But I'm, I'm home in Dallas, and, and I'm ready to go. 
Jalen Smith joining us. I want to be clear about that. You did have a lot to do with the season they had last year. You were a part of that Giants team that shocked so many by winning 13 after you were promoted from the practice squad. I read your numbers. You put up big numbers last year. I'm curious, what's your take on Brian Dable? He was the NFL coach of the year. He led the G-men to the playoffs. Jalen, what makes him so effective, and how was he able to get that situation turned around as quickly as he did? Brian is just He's an, uh, a, a very, like, he's a guy that, that really operates on, on energy. And he allows everyone to be themselves. He's a player's coach. And he's, got, he's, a, he's a coach that everybody wants to play for. And when you have that, that, that college family type of setting and background, it's easy to go to work. And it's easy to dominate. We've all been playing the game since we were seven years old. And Coach Dable, he, not only himself, but he has an amazing staff around him. Um, we know we can't do things alone. So definitely shout out to Coach Dable. He's a, he's a great guy and I definitely expect big things um, in, in his second year as the, as the head coach there. You know, and I think energy to me is always such an interesting word. Like when you say he's a big energy guy, is he, when you say that, is it that he's of high energy or is he of the right energy? Like what's his energy? I think he understands High vibrations and low vibrations, and and everyone learns and receives differently, and he pays attention to that. Um, and 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 that type of stuff, when you get that out of a head coach, is you know it's phenomenal. Only great things can happen, can come from that. So, um, you know, he's he's a great coach. I love. Dude, him. I, I don't want to belabor this point, but I love what you just said. That he understands the difference between high vibrations or low vibrations, or like high frequency or low frequency. What is the difference between those two things? Like, what's an example of high vibration versus low vibration or high frequency versus low frequency? Okay. Uh, so, so for me, let's, I'll give an example. You know, I, I like to do daily things um, th throughout, throughout each day that helps, uh, you know, regulates me, that helps give me high vibrations. For instance, I love to listen to music. Um, I love to eat fruit in the mornings. That gives me high vibrations. Um, I love to get in the sauna every morning after a workout. That gives me high vibrations. Um, talking to my mom at least three times a week gives me high vibrations. I'm a mama's boy. So, like, I think it's about understanding, you know, different things and mechanisms that that regulates us and, and paying attention to them. Um, and I think it's all about become, being present. You talk about low vibrations. Those are things that may irritate you or may make you upset or may get you in a bad mood. You know, sometimes we get in bad moods and we don't even want to be in them. But it's about being aware of what's causing that. And that's that low vibration that we're talking about. And well Coach Dave, he just does a great job at, at I, paying I, attention. Yes. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, dude. I just I I couldn't wait to agree with you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Low vibration and low frequency often is a result of doing something that you know you shouldn't do, that you know is going to make you feel like crap and you do it anyway. Of course you're operating from a low frequency. And if it sounds like I'm speaking from experience, it's because I'm speaking from experience. I know. I love that topic so much. We're talking to Jalen Smith. He's a free agent right now. He's working out he's getting ready he wants to play you know you also have a lot of interests away from football and you're really active in the business world among other things you're invested in a ramen bar in south bend here's why i ask you this question my son our son is 18 we live in orange county he and all of his friends are obsessed with ramen they chase it all over town they know all the best spots why is ramen the thing? Why is it killing the game? And is it here to stay or will the kids move on to the next thing? It's here to stay. It's fresh. Ramen is, is easy. Um, it's affordable, but it's, it, it's just very accessible. The, the one thing I love about ramen and the Japanese Asian culture is, you know, food matters. Um, and anytime you can have an option to where it's filling, um, but it's not too detrimental to your, your body and your overall health. Uh, but you can still get that pleasing taste. That's what I enjoy about ramen. And especially when it gets cold, everybody loves ramen. So it, it's a thing that's definitely here to stay. Uh, the millennials are, are are taking it and running with it. Um, Jinya, it's, it, I'm great um, and blessed to be a, a, a franchisee just coming on. 
Uh, we have 55 locations nationwide mm. currently, um, and we're going to grow that to about 300, 350 uh, locations. So you got to tell your son we we got a few uh, we got a few genius in, in in California in LA, um, Long Beach. A, a, a few different spots, so they got to check that out for sure. He he probably already knows, and if not, he will. He's probably already out. been. <laughs> He's already been. Like they make it a point to go. They know where all the spots are. You know, Jalen. On top of that, I love the work that you're doing with the Minority Entrepreneurship Institute Capital Fund. Why is that initiative so important to you? And how are things processing in that particular space? Um. See, the, the 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 Minority Entrepreneurship Institute is my purpose beyond athletics. Um, and it's all about helping close the economic and educational gap that exists in this world today when it comes to, to minorities, the black, the brown community, the, the Latinx community. You know, there's only 1% of venture dollars being invested into um, to minority companies right now. And for me, it's like, how can I help? You know, t- true freedom is financial freedom. Um, and financial equality, that's how we can really achieve true equality. So, um, me and my company, we've invested $1.4 million into 13 companies over these last four years. And we're growing, um, you know, for us, it's just about helping close that gap. So definitely MEI, we got some great things continuing to come here. Um, so stay tuned for sure. So leave me with this thought. Obviously, you've got a lot of things going on off the field that you've got great, great passion for, but you still have a passion to play the game. I know you want to play still. What is the team going to get in a 27-year-old Jalen Smith? What are you bringing to it at this point? We know what you've done. We know what you can do on tape. You have your past resume and record. What's the team getting right now if they bring you in? Um, uh, a leadership like no other, a guy who understands, um, how to win, what it takes to prepare to win, how to battle and, and overcome adversity. Um, but you also getting a player that's still dominant and can, and can produce on that field, um, you know, in the middle of your defense. And for me, it's just about the opportunity. That's, that's all I need. Um, and I'll prepare until that comes. So. Um, I definitely appreciate you having me on, Jim. It's it's always a, a blast to be able to talk to you, man. And um, I'll, I'll I'll continue to come back. No worries. No, I appreciate that. I I would bet on you. I am betting on you, Jalen. And I appreciate the relationship. And I always appreciate the energy. You make it better, my man. So great to have you on. Good luck with that. And as soon as you find the next spot, you know I'll be looking for you. Absolutely, I appreciate that. You uh, you be safe. Y'all take care. All right. You have a great day, Jalen Smith, joining us. But Floyd Money Mayweather is still out here collecting checks and cashing those checks. And frankly, pretty fat checks, multi-million dollar checks on this exhibition tour that he's been on for the past couple of years. And last night's exhibition match went down in Sunrise, Florida against John Gotti III. And it may have been one of the more entertaining spectacles that we've seen. And that's not hyperbole. And I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious. Now, the actual fight itself was not interesting at all. Then again, the Mayweather exhibition tour generally is not interesting at all. Hell, if we're being honest, watching Floyd in his prime wasn't that interesting either. And I actually mean that as something of a compliment. Because Floyd was so good and so smart and so slick and so good defensively that he rarely ever got hit, much less hurt. Like, I don't even know if I remember ever seeing Floyd ever hurt even. He would go rounds without even getting hit. He was so good. And he rarely, another reason for that, he rarely took any unnecessary chances. Floyd didn't care how it looked. Floyd understood the key to the game was to win. I don't need to give you what you want. It's not how I win. I don't need to put on that kind of a show. I just need to win. And if I don't have to get hit, why would I? So that's kind of the way Floyd went about it. A ton of skill. He did have an amazing work ethic. And he made lots of business decisions in the ring. Like, why get hit if you don't have to get hit, even if you're in the business of getting hit? 
My point is, he was not the most interesting guy to watch when he was in his Hall of Fame prime. So it stands to reason he'd be a hell of a lot less interesting to watch in his mid-40s, grabbing checks in these meaningless exhibitions against guys who have no business being in the ring with him anyway. Guys that we really don't even know. So at this point, it's not even really boxing. It's not even really a sport as much as it is content, right? And isn't that what makes the world go around anyway? Making money and making content. The problem is, it's not very good content. And this was no different. Until, until, until the ref not liking what he saw suddenly called this content in the sixth round. I bet, I guess because there was more trash talk than there was actual fighting, at least from Gotti. So the ref had seen enough, had enough, and called the fight. Gotti, I'm guessing, already extremely frustrated and embarrassed by Mayweather because Mayweather's Mayweather, and Gotti's Gotti, and Mayweather was making him look bad and let him know it, and Gotti didn't like it. So then he snaps when the ref tells him he's done for the night. And it was at that very moment that the fans finally started to get their money's worth as all hell broke loose. That's when Gotti seemingly lost his damn mind and wanted to take matters into his own hands. You know, kind of like, this fight, you said the fight's over, I'll let you know when the fight's over. The fight is not over. Listen to this. This is what took place after the referee waved it all off and said the fight was over. That's it. Stop it. Stop it. That's it. Absolute chaos. Like nothing happened during the fight. But then once the fight ended, all hell broke loose. I mean, as soon as the ref called it off, that's when Gotti apparently decided to turn it on. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever seen a guy continue to actually fight after the fight had been stopped. I've seen guys argue. I've seen guys upset. But I've never seen guys engage the way he did. Like, he did more damage in the minute after the ref waved it off than he did in the first six rounds. Because it was almost like he waved his entire crew into the ring so the fans could be treated to a full-scale brawl instead of that boring exhibition that they were treated to previously. Because that's what happened. That's what happened. Both sides then got into the ring. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not condoning this. I mean, did Gotti think that it would still go in the books as a win if he knocked out Floyd after the fight had already been called? Like, what was he thinking? Believe this. Given the number of dudes who rushed in from both sides, somebody could have been knocked the hell out or much worse. Check out that bald guy, the first guy in. He got cracked from behind. He's looking around like, who hit me? Who hit me? It was a full-scale melee. Dude's throwing haymakers with bare-ass hands. If there is a dock for the malice at the palace, and there is, they should get to work immediately on this one, too. I mean, the one thing to me that was sort of amusing, you know whenever an NFL game goes into overtime, we all tweet free football? That's what we got here. Free boxing. When Gotti continued to fight, and engage Floyd on the ropes. Like when the referee called the fight and Gotti thought to himself, oh, hell no, and he started chasing after Floyd, Floyd knew that that fight had not ended, even if the fight had ended. So Floyd, more than anybody else understands, always be prepared to defend yourself. So Floyd just kept doing what he's always done. He's on the ropes, slipping punches, and countering, countering beautifully... As all hell is breaking loose and Gotti is still trying to fight him. Dudes are coming over the ropes, coming through the ropes, and Floyd's just fighting off the ropes the way he always does. It was as predictable as it was absurd. 
I mean, did anybody even know that Floyd was fighting this weekend? Did anybody even care? Of course he embarrassed Gotti, who was completely overmatched, even by a 46-year-old Mayweather. And of course, Mayweather taunted and frustrated the hell out of Gotti. And of course, Gotti was embarrassed and finally snapped. But dude, you had the entire fight. You had the whole night to shut this guy up. Why did you wait until after it was called to actually try to inflict damage? I mean, what a mess. Then again, without that mess, would we even know what happened? Would we even know that it had taken place? Would we have even known? Without that mess. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying, would we have even known? Speaking of old dudes getting popped in the grill over the weekend. Man, did you see what happened to John Sterling? Yankee broadcaster taking a ball right off his face while doing his job? This is insane. Now the 3-2 swung on, a pop foul back here. Ow! 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 It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. I, I mean, where do I even start? He's calling that like play-by-play. The pitch, a swing, a pop foul. It's coming back here. Ow! Now the... 3-2, swung on, a pop foul back here. Ow! 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 It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. Hell yes, it hit you, dude. My man, props. Big, big ups. Ow! For staying on the call. Ow! And finishing the game. Ow. Every NHLer in the history of the world respects you, John, for not missing a shift, for not missing a pitch. Listen, I know that taking punches to the face and calling a game are two different things, but my guy Sterling is 80 freaking four. He's turning 85 next month on the 4th of July. I'm hoping when I'm 84, I can get out of this studio chair without cracking my hip. This dude is taking strays to the face. Back here. Ow! What was the exit Ow. velo on that Ow. foul ball? Right in my face. The spin rate. It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. I mean, my man. I, I don't know if you put up some glass. I don't know if you put on a catcher's mask. I don't know what precautions you take. Head on a swivel. Always be prepared to defend yourself. And if you can no longer get out of the way of that foul ball, and I would even venture a guess to say a much younger person would have trouble getting out of the way of that foul ball. That Back here. Could you imagine how horribly that could have ended? That could have been tragic. My dude, the legend of John Sterling. This guy is something else. What a wild weekend. Wild weekend. Chris in Milwaukee, Jimmy, we have not seen a fracas that insane since they ran out of steak at our favorite buffet. Thanks, the Golden Corral Brawlers. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. It's a reason to go. DLH 1029, I remember where I was when I heard at Brad and Corona first call and being a Celtic fan, I was in tears laughing that day. You know it's a good call if you remember where you were when you heard that call, right? Quote, ow, ow, ow. It really hit me. Signed Jim after that camera jumped out in front of him in the studio that time. Back here. And that other time. Ow. Jake in New York City. It really hit me. To be fair, it only happened once, right? Alvin's like, no, dude, it happened twice. Trust this, if it happened twice, the first one hit so hard that I forgot it happened again. Ow! Ow! Well, I'm not gonna lie, dude. I I wasn't right for about a week. It really hit me. I didn't know. I probably was concussed. I didn't get it checked out. I probably should have been in the protocol. Not, I'm looking at that camera right there. It's camera number one. Not a lot of give on that bad boy. Ow! Hey, Alvin. 
where are you when I need you? There should have been a blue tent right outside the studio. Back here. Ow! I wasn't the first one to hit that thing. There should have been a blue tent during the commercial break where I went in after I walked right into that camera. Oh, yeah, it's moving now. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah, yeah, I got you now, New York. Yeah. Then Alvin be like, dude, dude, looks like Vance Max heading to the blue tent. Chalk's getting warmed up. Chalk's getting loose on the sideline. Jack Savage is like, I, I actually played football. I can play. I like the way they're moving that camera now to let me know that it actually moves. Like, I'm looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you didn't move. There was no give when I walked into you, yo. Ow. Well, this is great. Check it out. Are you watching on CBS Sports Network? They're going to a two box. Sterling and I both getting hit reacting. It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. Here, you know what I said? If you show that again, I'll give you my reaction. Ow. It really Ow. hit me. I didn't know it was going to be right there. It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. Here it is. Watch this. Watch on CBS Sports Network. Oh, ow! That really hit me. Wow. Oh. Oh, I'm looking good in pink, but that really hurt. That really hit me. Wow. Ouch. What was that camera doing there? You moved it there on purpose. Sharon? Ow. New York? Damn, that hurt. Hey, John, I got you. I know, I know, I know what it's like. It really hit me. Yeah, that camera really hit me too, Jono. (laughs) That's great. They they had a side-by-side. Mike D. Ow! 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 The producer listening to Yoko lay down that track. Listen, that's... That that was a natural reaction. Not everybody is an MMA-er. He can snap their leg and not react. Ow! John Sterling was an unsuspecting 84, soon-to-be 85-year-old broadcaster Ow! who took a foul ball off his head. Ow! That probably hurt a hell of a lot. Rome. Oh, my goodness gracious. Of all the dramatic things, John Sterling just got blasted in the grill by a foul ball. Regards that Yankees announcer for Roger Clemens. Would you get off this guy? He just took a foul ball off his head. Ow! He could have died. People have died from foul balls. Wow, Alvin. Good night now!